Today we're reading um, Titus 3, verses 1 to 15. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I've decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way, and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, in order to provide for, provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. My name's Scott. I'm the student minister. Let me pray as we look at God's word uh, together this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we need you to speak to us, and we praise you that you have spoken to us. You are speaking to us in your words. Father, would you give us open hearts that we might be shaped and changed by your word to live productive lives to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We don't do God. We don't do God. The um, famous word said almost, what was it, 20 years ago now by the, the, the then prime minister's spin doctor, um, Alistair Campbell. Tony Blair had been asked a question uh, about how his faith impacted on, um, on how he you know, went about his job. And, and the spin doctor asked Campbell, said, no, 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 he's not answering that. We don't do God. It's 20 years ago now, but, but it both um, reflected a culture and helped to set um, a culture that more or less ever since we've sort of all bought into that, that, that my faith is a, is a private thing. What I do in my own home, what I, what I think is going on between me and God, well, fair enough. But don't, don't bring it into the public square. Don't let it shape how you make decisions or go about your job, especially if your job is uh, to be uh, the prime minister and make big decisions. And ever since, there have been sort of um, different times where it's been very hard for Christians to be um, Christians publicly. So you think of um, Tim Farron, who once... Uh, leader of the Lib, Lib Dem, uh, another political party, basically hounded out of that position um, because uh, p- people thought, well, you, can't, you can't be a Christian and lead a political party. How can you do that? 
most of us, and we're, we're, not, we're not in the world of politics, and most of us probably won't be the prime minister, and, but we can feel that pressure, can't we, to, to just keep quiet in public about our Christian faith. Maybe faith is a private thing. Maybe I shouldn't let it impact on my work um, or my politics or how I engage in the issues of the day. We've, I think we've become, I certainly know it myself, a little bit scared. And we worry that if we try and do good, if we try and speak out, if we try and make a difference, or people will just accuse us of, of wrong motives. You know, we only, we only want to, uh, to do good in order to, um, to win people around to our way of thinking. We worry about, about getting a reputation um, in the office or on the street as, as a sort of do-gooder. And I think that fear um, of being labelled a, a do-gooder has led us to be afraid of doing good at all in certain spheres. But as we'll see this morning, that the, the Bible is not ashamed to say that, that the gospel has implications in every area of our lives, including at the sort of more public aspects. There is um, no sacred secular divide uh, in the Bible's way of thinking. Of course, what I, what I profess here on a Sunday morning should impact what I do Monday uh, through Saturday. How could it not um, when the gospel is this, life transforming? So what we're going to look at this morning, we're, uh, the final, final look at this book of Titus uh, that we've been looking at through the summer. And the whole letter um, has been encouraging people to, to be spiritually healthy, to, be, to do good in every area of their lives, personally, individually, um, in their interactions with others as a church, and uh, this morning uh, with the wider world. Spiritual health always involves doing good. Um, last week we saw that, that grace leads to godliness, personal godliness, and today we'll see that grace leads to goodness. Um, a life that is publicly useful uh, for those around us. You can't, you can't get away from that being the, the main point. You get it three times in this chapter, um, Paul urging Titus to teach the people to do good. Um, you see it there in verse 1, um, teach people to be ready to do whatever is good. Again in verse 8, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And then again in verse 14, as he wraps it up, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. So that's what we're going to see this morning, that, that grace leads us to, to goodness, a publicly, outwardly um, good life that commends the gospel. The points are there in your handout. We'll see that we're saved to do good, that grace leads us to goodness, and that division um, gets in the way of goodness. Firstly, then, we are saved to do good. We've thought already that the gospel has implications for our public life. What does it actually look like? Well, verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceful, peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. What does it look like to do good, to live an outwardly good life? Well, and Paul says, reminds people to be subject to rulers and authorities, and, and we get stuck. <laughs> we get stuck right on the first one. We say, oh, can, can, it not be, can it not be something different? Can we not skip to the bit where I, where I sort of you know, visibly do good? Well, no, we, we first get be subject 
to rulers and authorities. We are generally skeptical, um, aren't we, of, of authorities um, in our culture today. We, uh, we, we, we sort of naturally assume that they've got wrong motives and that they're, uh, that they're not working for our good. And yet Paul is clear here that the default of a Christian towards authority is obedience. It is obedience. It's not, it's not blind obedience. Okay? It's not, it's not um, obedience at any cost. Um, even here, it's, it's in the midst of, of other instructions, isn't it? The Christians are also to be ready to do whatever is good. So if someone in authority is telling me to do something that is not good, well, then I'm not called to obey. Christians are, are called to be peaceable and considerate, that is to look out for others, to consider them, to seek peace, not, not quarrels. So I guess if you're a Christian in Russia right now and the government say, you know, today is the day to, uh, to come out and celebrate our, our special military operation and all that it's been achieving. Even if the government say that, if you're, if you're a Christian in Russia, you're not obliged to obey because you're called to do what is considerate, peaceable to others. There is um, some freedom of conscience, isn't there, in how we respond to authorities. And so I don't think you can just say blanket statements like a Christian must never do this or a Christian must always uh, do this when it comes to, um, to relating to the government. But um, obedience is still the default, not the exception. So you, you, I, we wouldn't be able to say, look, I, I don't like the government's stance on, um, on the budget, on benefits, on foreign policy. Therefore, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withhold my taxes not going to pay my tax this year because I don't like uh, what, what the government are doing. We're, we're not given that sort of freedom. We can't do that. And I wonder if it just naturally, just the way our culture is, we're, we're too quick to jump to the exceptions when the Bible calls us to be obedient to authorities. I guess that's broader than just the government, is, isn't it, as well? Um, you think at the minute with the cost of living crisis um, and the, the energy prices skyrocketing, um, don't know if you've come across Don't Pay UK. Don't Pay UK is a, a movement um, that, that, at my last look, had 124,500 people signed up to say, from the 1st of October, um, we are cancelling our direct debits to our energy companies, um, and we're not going to pay. Um, now, there's all sorts of reasons um, behind that. It's not just um, because, personally, they're not, maybe some not able to. It's also trying to look out. Um, there is a sort of altruistic... Um, looking out for others, hoping that if enough people do it, um, then they stop it. But I don't think that we're given that sort of freedom to just suddenly say, I'm, I'm, I'm not paying. Look at verse 14. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. So the res- our response to a cost of living crisis um, is to, if we're able to look to provide for others' needs, and if we need it, um, to ask the church for help. Um, and wonderfully here at CCM, there's, there's the Deacons Fund, um, where uh, volunteers from church um, help people through um, periods of, of, of crisis, financial uh, crisis among them. Um, and so if you are struggling, uh, if you are worried um, and struggling about um, how you'll pay your bills this winter, do, do speak to, to a deacon. And there's a, a form on the website uh, where you can get in touch with them or uh, you can go through your home group leader. That, I think, and the church providing for urgent needs, 
um, is a, a, a Christian response um, rather than just saying, I'm, 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 I'm not going to pay. Um, come and chat to me later if, uh, if, you've, if you're one of those 125,000 and you think differently. Let's, let's chat it through. But the, the default for Christians is, is to obey authorities, to be obedient uh, towards them. It's part of what it means to do good. We spent quite a lot of time on that, I think, because it's the one that, um, that we maybe naturally struggle with most. But there are lots of other ways in which, just in these two verses, we're called to do good and not to slander others. And maybe it's when, uh, when we're at work, maybe we're going for a promotion and um, we're tempted just to talk down uh, the others in our team who are maybe going for the same, uh, the same one. Maybe it's um, we're, we're called to be gentle and peaceable. Maybe it's when everyone in, um, around the dinner table is giving their opinion uh, on the hot topic and everyone's doing it you know, with, with the usual sort of uh, aggress- aggression. Maybe we just take a step back and, yes, say what we think, but do it gently and lovingly. There are lots of ways, um, aren't there, that we're called to do good. But why do we live like that? If you just had those two verses, you might think, okay, here's, here's another uh, sermon. Just, just try a little bit harder. Um, just, just be a bit better. But then Paul gives us the motivation. Why live like this? Well, because grace, God's grace leads us to goodness. Look at verse three. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is the motivation uh, to seek to live a good life, a publicly good life. It starts with what we once were. And it's, it's not a flattering list, is it? One time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, living in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. I don't know how you you respond when you you hear that that's how you once lived. I guess lots of us like to think, well, actually on the whole, I'm a a loving person. I treat others with, with compassion, with respect, with love. And I wonder if Paul here, he's, he's not necessarily talking about every, he's not talking about every single interaction that we have. Um, he's talking more generally about, you know, about how we, how we act in public, how we relate to those around us, how society in a whole functions. And I think if you look at that list, we're not, actually, we're not that far away from that as a society. And you just look at how people, people live online, how people respond to those who disagree with them and the sort of, sort of aggression and vitriol that, that often comes. How do I respond to those who think differently to me? See, when our relationship with God is broken, society, the whole structure of society breaks down. Our relationships with one another become marked by these things too. But, Paul says, that is not how you live now. But what changed? Verse four, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, 
he saved us. That is, the change came when God took the initiative, when God stepped down in kindness to save us. That is what God does. He rescues people who are, who are floundering and lost at sea and rescues us, picks us up and leads us to safety. His initiative, his rescue. And why does God do that? Well, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Being a Christian is not about being good enough. I mean, it's easy to get that confused, isn't it? When, when Christians are called to be good, to, lit, to do good um, in their own lives, in, in their public life. It's easy to think that is what makes someone a Christian, but it's not. Being Christian is not about me trying to improve myself and be a better person. No, we're saved by God's mercy. And he does the saving, not us. Goodness is always a response to God's grace to us. How does God bring about that change? Verse five, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our savior. See, the, the, the change, the transformation that comes when someone becomes a Christian is not just a tweak here and a, and a little change there. It is life transforming. Um, it is transformation by God's spirit as he comes to dwell in us. He does that generously. The Holy Spirit is poured out on his people. He's not stingy. And if that's true, if that sort of change has happened in the life of a Christian, then of course all of their life is going to be different, including at their public life. And it is the gospel here that motivates us to goodness. I guess there's, there's lots of things that, that could motivate goodness, aren't there? There's lots of ways that the world tries to do better. You know, we, we, we must uh, do better on the climate or we're going to destroy um, the planet. Um, I, I must try and do good in my community or I'll, I, I, I'll not enjoy uh, the life uh, of the community that I'm living in. There's lots of things that would motivate um, a, a call to goodness or could motivate it. But here, it's, it's not law, is it? It's not, come on, guys, let's just try a little bit harder. It is grace. It is, look what God has done for you. So yes, a Christian tries to do good to others, but not because God demands it, but because God has been kind to us. And we, we, we get all in a muddle if we get that the wrong way around, don't we? Without God's grace as our motivation, and we get in all sorts of trouble. We're, we're just trying to prove ourselves um, through our good works. But when you know how kind the almighty God has been to you, well, it changes you. It moves you away from that attitude of, uh, of disobedience, of I do what suits me. I do what benefits me most to one of obedience. I, I want to honor the authorities that God has placed over me, even if I do disagree with them even if I do wish they do a better job sometimes. When you know how God has loved you, when you are so far from him that he needed to come and rescue you, when you know that, well, it moves you from, from hating those who are different to loving those who are different. He's done so much for you. 
And there is more to come, isn't there? Verse 7. So that having been justified by his grace, he might become, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. There is so much better um, to come. Just ima- imagine for a minute if um, your energy company rang you up this afternoon and they said, hey, don't, don't worry about the price increase. Um, someone has just paid your bill for the next five years. They've just, they've just paid it. In fact, they've given us so much that we're going to give you £3,549 a year. And at the end of that five years, hey, we'll, we'll double that. We'll give you twice that, no matter what, uh, what the energy prices are. I don't know how you'd respond to that. You'd, you'd probably be pretty skeptical. <laughs> you'd be amazed. Uh, you'd maybe want to ask a few more questions, absolutely. But if it, if it was legit, well, I think all of us would we'd be amazed, we'd be astounded, and it would motivate us, wouldn't it? To, we'd, we'd, we'd be that much more willing to help out our neighbor, our person down the road who we know is struggling. Gosh, we've been given something so, so generous, so wonderful. Of course, that's going to motivate us to, to want to help others. And in Jesus, if you're a Christian this morning, you have been given something so wonderful, even more amazing than, than someone paying your energy bill for the next five years. Why would you not want to, 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 live, to, to live to do good to others? There's lots of different ways of doing that, aren't there? I was very struck um, by a radio interview that I heard a few months ago now, quite near the beginning, about a couple of months into the Ukraine war. It was on the Jeremy Vine um, show on Radio 2, and they were interviewing a lady called Becky Innes, and Becky, um, some people might know, was, um, was plugged in, um, was connected with St. Helens, now a missionary with her husband and family in Moldova, so um, right near the border uh, with Ukraine. And before Becky uh, was a missionary, she was a, a producer on Jeremy Vine's show, so they were sort of getting her on um, fairly frequently to, to talk about the situation um, uh, in, Mo- in Moldova as they um, welcomed in uh, Ukrainian refugees that uh, her husband was doing multiple runs to the border uh, to pick up families who were fleeing and they'd bring them in and they'd, they'd stay in their home for a while and then they'd um, arrange uh, onward, onward sort of transport. And this has been going on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And uh, you know, she did a great job sort of explaining the situation and explaining the need. And then um, Jeremy Van Astor, what, what keeps you going? You've been doing this now for, for months and it's exhausting, it's relentless. And um, what keeps you going? I was very struck by, by her answer. She said, look, um, Jeremy, you know I'm a, I'm a Christian. And there's lots, of, there's lots of people doing good. There's lots of people trying to help. But for me, I'm motivated to help others by my Christian faith. God has been so good to me, and I want to serve others. I want to show that goodness to others in their time of need. It was very gentle. Um, it wasn't the first thing she'd said but it was clear that what was motivating their service, their trying to do good, was their Christian faith. Now, maybe you think, look, that's, that's easy for a missionary. Um, that's sort of their job. Um, that's easy in a time of crisis when the need is so obvious. But I guess all of us, we, we do have opportunities. As we see need in our communities, in our workplaces, in, in, at the school gate, as we see need, we have opportunities to, to meet those needs, maybe particularly at the minute with the cost of living crisis. And as we seek to do good, why not be bold and say, 
it's, look, we, you know, when someone asks why you're helping, why you're seeking to do good, well, it's my Christian faith that motivates me. I know how kind God has been to me, and I want to show that kindness to others. Grace always leads us to goodness. And then the, verses 9 and 10 I feel like a slight change of tack. But we see that division gets in the way of goodness. Nothing ruins um, our attempts to do good more than internal division. That's the point, I think. Verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. I don't think it's too controversial, um, another, another politics example, but I don't think it's too controversial to say that um, the, the government have been slightly distracted um, at the minute by their own leadership campaign. Of course they have. That, that's, that's just human nature, isn't it? Um, they're, they're, they're wrangling, they're maneuvering, they're trying to work out who, who's going to be their next leader. They're, they're focused on that, and the attention has, I think, um, it's fair to say, been, been somewhat off uh, the looming or the already here uh, cost of living crisis. That's just human nature. And, and in a similar way, the church, it, it won't be able to do good if, if we're always squabbling um, if we're always arguing amongst ourselves, I guess we, we, can, we can all point to examples of that. Now, look, there are, there are some things, aren't there, that are worth standing up for, worth taking a stand over, and making sure that we're all absolutely clear on key gospel and truths. But there are plenty of things that are not worth that, plenty of things that we might fall out over that are just not worth falling out over. It's not good for us um, as a church. It's not good for our witness as we seek to do good to others. And so for each of us, I guess, the question I ask us is, am I, an, am I seeking to be an outward blessing as I do good to others, or am, am I just an inward pain in the neck? Am I just always bumping up against other people in a way that stops me, stops them from looking outwards? And so I think that is why Paul sort of says, look, at times it is right to warn people, who, to warn someone who is just bent on arguing all the time, just quite divisive. But you see, even, even there, even as they do that, even as you warn them, there is grace. You warn them once and you warn them a second time. And only then, if they, if they continue down that path of, of always arguing and being divisive, only then do you have nothing to do with them. It's not your job to, to, to win the argument, to prove someone right. You do what you can to gently uh, bring them back, but you leave the final judgment to the Lord. And it is unity. It is unity as a church that enables us to do good uh, to others. And I think as I was reflecting on this, it makes me thankful for the unity that we enjoy uh, here at CCM. And I think we should give thanks for it. And it doesn't mean, obviously, that, that we all think the same all of the time. But it does mean that we're, we unite around the gospel in order to, to be a blessing, in order to do good to others, rather than always be at loggerheads with one another. We should give thanks for that. What do we, what do we make of, of this then? This, this seeking to, to, to live a publicly good life, to do good 
to others. I think it is, it is what we want in our society, isn't it? We, we, we sort of get that everything would be better if, if people looked to the interests of others, if they sought to do good. That the tone of our politics um, would be better uh, instead of all the, the mudslinging and the, the sort of personal attacks. If we were working together, even from differences of opinion, to do good. We sort of want that. I guess if you're, um, if you're not yet a Christian here this morning, um, the take-home is, is we've got to get right the order. It is God's mercy that comes first, and then the, the, that leads us to want to do good. Don't get it confused. Don't get it the other way around. If you're a Christian here this morning, sometimes we need to remember that too. Our good works are motivated by what God has done for us. But I think the main, the main take-home for most of us, I think, is I want us to have confidence. Confidence to, to do good in that sort of more public uh, sphere. Rather than being scared uh, of being maligned or accused, we'd actually be, be free um, to do good. Maybe particularly at the minute with, with the opportunities that there will be to, to serve others um, in need. Uh, as many people struggle um, with the cost of living. Why not look for those opportunities? And, and generally, as a Christian, seek to do good, to bless others because of how God has treated you. Um, and have confidence to, to speak about that motivation. Don't hide it away, but to gently and um, lovingly tell people why it is that you want to serve, that you want to do good. Remember how God's kindness to you has totally transformed uh, your life and seek uh, to do good for others. Shall we pray that God would give us the courage and the confidence uh, to live that publicly good life? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how we praise you for your kindness to us. Father, it is extraordinary that you regardless, in spite of our lack of goodness, would save us, you would come and rescue us, that you would transform us by your spirit and make us new in order that we might do good for those around us. Father, where we have um, become complacent or afraid of publicly uh, being Christians, Father, give us a confidence not in ourselves, but in what you have done and in the transforming power that that has, that we might bless others, that we might do good to others as, as, as our resources allow, as our um, opportunities arise, that we might seek to do good, that we might be ready to do good, that you might be glorified, that people might see something of the gospel in how we live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.